0: You're listening to an Anasal Ministries podcast. Hey, Joshua, I think robots are pretty cool. What about you? What's your hot take on robots? Uh, you mean like Bender or like iRobot? Cause I can get behind Bender. Yeah, that's a great question. What what
1: kind of robots are we talking about? Um, yeah, I think um, when it comes to the human race and the big questions that we ask, uh, we can't ignore that humans for a long time have created tools and technology to help us flourish in life. And robots are a part of that conversation. And so, yeah, what kind of robot are we talking about and what effect does it have on the human race
0: and the human condition? And do we have anything to worry about? Yeah. Uh, Do you know anyone who can answer all of my questions about robots and if they're going to take over the world? Yeah. Yeah. As if there was a, might be a book out
1: there or an author that could help us. Cool go deeper into these questions that we' we're, we're thinking about right now um, yes we have an exciting conversation we want to share with you today um, I am on Twitter hi y'all I'm will Rose I am a Lutheran pastor in Chapel Hill part of uh, systematic ecology and uh, Lutheran uh, Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Chapel Hill and sometimes on whole church podcasts uh, so a lot of different venues and if anybody uh, knows me they know, that I geek out pretty hard on the big questions that revolve around faith and science and technology and how they intersect with one another. And someone happened to tag me on a post in Twitter about someone who wrote a book on robots and theology and robot theology, and was wondering if I would be interested. And I said, heck yeah, I would be, and was able to contact this author of this book, um, Joshua K. Smith, who wrote a book called Robot Theology, Old Questions Through New Media. And... Um, we connected over Twitter and social media, and we're really happy that um, we can share this interview with you and conversation about his book and some of the questions he lifts up for people of faith and how it relates to technology and science
0: and robots. Yeah. And, you know, I know I was silly earlier with the, the Bender or iRobot thing, but robots really are playing a more significant place in our role when you think of Alexa or uh, drones right now. Um And you guys kind of touch on both of those and super fascinating conversation. I'm really excited that people get to listen into what you guys had to say. Yeah, it's a super
1: accessible
0: book. It's not like a real heady academic
1: book. It's for really anyone uh, who's interested on the subject. And he kind of outlines from the very beginning to the very early humans and how they relate to technology and the tools that we create to help us kind of navigate our world and go all the way through up to present time, even now during the pandemic, when the rise of kind of um, artificial intelligence and order of things online and having kind of technology help us navigate in a world that has to deal with things like pandemics so it was a really cool conversation and we're really glad uh, to share it with you we're sharing it on all kinds of platforms uh, joshua do you want to share uh what we're sharing this on
0: yeah yeah so you are already listening to it i suppose so you're either listening to this on the whole church podcast systematic ecology um holy trinity lutheran church i think are you gonna put it on your website or on your youtube page Yeah, we're going to put on our um, congregational YouTube page. Awesome. Yeah. So it'll be over there. Um, It'll be on our YouTubes on the podcast as a bonus episode. Um, Pretty much anywhere you want to listen or watch, you can you can do one of those two things. So if you're seeing this on YouTube and you're thinking, man, I'd rather just kind of hear it as a podcast. Well, good news. You could go over to Systematic Ecology or Whole Church Podcast and listen to it. Um, If you're on an app and you're like, man, I want to see this on A church's YouTube page. Well, great news. You could do that too. Holy Trinity Chapel Hill. That's where you can find us. You know,
1: I'm a, I'm a big comic book geek and sci-fi and Marvel fan too. And sometimes they have these big crossovers. Like you have one episode or issue or genre or hero on one comic book or episode, and then you have a whole nother one. And then sometimes they team up for some big crossover super event uh, that connects all the storylines together. And that's kind of what we're doing with this conversation. This is one of the first kind of interviews on Systematic Geekology and other places. And so we just want to share it with you because we think it relates, Uh, because these questions about how humans relate to technology and robots, um, as as Joshua said, it's not going anywhere. Robots and technology, that kind of stuff uh, is only going to progress and grow. And we hopefully want to uh, be proactive and think about some of these big questions ahead of time rather than just being reactionary to it later on down the road. One more plug. Yeah, we want to let you know where to find this book. You can find uh, Joshua Smith's Robot Theology on Amazon and then uh, also uh, rate it and uh, write a review because that helps to get more publicity out there in the different algorithms that are in the world. So uh, promote it and share it. And we hope that you'll read the book for yourself.
0: Yeah. And if uh, you have more questions and you want to talk to us about it, um, systematicecology.org. Has a whole chat thing you can get on there and you can message either Will or I on there. Um, as far as uh, Joshua goes, who wrote the book, <laughs> um, I believe you could probably find a website for the book and uh, contact him there as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and on Facebook, we have a
1: pretty cool group called uh, Priest to the Geeks. It's pretty uh, nice. We share different uh, thoughts and articles and memes and and have fun over there and do uh, creative polls. And so, yeah, if you want to chime in and join that group, we'd love to have you on that, too. We have a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. All right. So uh, without further ado, then here is Pastor Will Rose interviewing Joshua K. Smith.
1: hello friends i am will rose and for those who know me know that uh, i geek out pretty hard when it comes to the intersection of faith and science and faith and pop culture and faith and technology and theology and philosophy wrapped around the sciences and how they can integrate with one another and having a healthy conversation around faith and science and so people that know that about me um, I actually had a friend tag me on a post on Twitter and said, Hey, Will, you should check this out. And it was this guy who wrote a book about robots and theology. And he shared, Hey, do you want to talk about my book? I'll send you a book. And if you read it, um, then get back with me. We'll have a conversation around it. And so uh, today I'm really stoked around. Uh, about having a conversation with Joshua about this book he wrote. Um, I'm really excited mm-hmm. about this conversation because I think it's important for people of faith in the church, uh, to continue to think about and reflect on and discern how to have healthy conversations around faith and science, but also, uh, this sort of technology around robots, robotics, and AI, uh, artificial intelligence, those questions, uh, and issues around, um, those are not going anywhere. And so how do we as people of faith and people who are in church communities have con- healthy conversations about this? And we have a tendency, uh, Joshua, I don't know if you know this, but the church and Christians tend to be reactionary and react against things rather than proactive in these conversations around port issues in, in our society. And so I'm, I'm super excited to have uh, this conversation with Joshua uh, today. And we're hoping that we can share this Im- among multiple platforms uh, and, and get it out to you guys because I think it's I think it's important. So, Joshua, thanks for being with me. And why don't you share a little bit about you and who you are? Who is Joshua K. Smith?
2: Yeah, well, um, thanks, Will, for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here, man. And uh, I really do. I, obviously, I'm a big geek about Uh, robots and and in sci-fi and uh, especially theology Uh, i'm a theologian and um, i'm also a pastor you know um that's kind of more vocation um and calling personally i'm a dad have three kids i'm married um just Mm -hmm. a normal guy in a lot of ways although sometimes because of this subject matter people think you know uh, i must be very strange about I'm, I promise you I'm very, very down to earth, <laughs> normal, laid back, uh, Southern guy. And, um, yeah. yeah, grew up in the South, um, actually didn't grow up with computers. Um, everything oh. I learned, I learned hands-on, uh, starting in high school and, um, didn't have internet, didn't have, you know, a cell phone till like mm. after <laughs> high school. Um, but yeah, I just was always curious to undo things and uh, take them apart and um so i have a a little bit of an engineering spirit in me and um just take things apart and put them back together and always (laughs) been curious about how things work um humans machines alike but yeah i uh, i've been studying these questions for a while and um, studying theology even longer but i just see there's a big intersection um, for people of faith and there's a lot of faith questions in, in a lot of this research. And so, yeah, it's just, it's such a a unique, but not new topic to for, for Christians to think about. And so, yeah, um, how I got to the question is kind of a, a long journey, um, like I said, in high well, school. Sorry yeah. to interrupt, but where, where do you serve now? Like where, what church do you serve? Oh, yeah, and, yeah, and- yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, so I'm in Mississippi. It's a small country church um, in the town of Morton. So, okay. um, if you, if you know where Morton is, you have to be looking for it. It's in the middle of nowhere. And, um, it's a really, I don't know, it's kind of a desperate place, man. Um, a lot of yeah. opioids and, um, a lot of factories and, um, everybody's trying to get away or <laughs> they're stuck kind of those, those two mentalities. So I've been here for, this is my third year. And we've been just trying to enjoy a a slower pace of life. And um, what's the name of the church? It's called North Morton Baptist Church. So if you're really, if you're really interested, um, we have a Facebook page. (laughs) That's about it. And um, yeah, yeah, we do, we do a streaming service most, most Sundays. And um, we've been doing that before the pandemic Okay. and just a small, country church of about fifty, sixty people depending. And um it was a little bit bigger before the pandemic, but um we're kinda of rebuilding some things now and um town of about four thousand. So okay. yeah, just a small town. And uh, There you wow. go. Cool.
1: And then you wrote this book, so you're you're um you know in in it sounds like in terms of like not only just looking at things more deeply or taking things apart, rebuilding them and see how they function and work. That's just, that's what theology does. That's what philosophy does. And when it comes to church, people of faith, uh, the the Christian anthropology, which you incorporate into your your books, that that gift and, and that spiritual gift is, is pretty neat to be able to uh, do that. in the conversation around robotics and A.I., um, so, so what got you into that? Like, in terms of what made you, you're serving this smaller church and yet even, yeah, before you went there before pandemic, but during the pandemic, wow, like you mentioned in your book, you kind of kicked it off with, yeah, uh, I'm, March 2020, the world yeah. took a turn and, and then we had to lean even harder into technology to, in order to stay connected and uh, robotics and AI really helped us in terms of staying connected a lot of churches that were like no you know mm-hmm. how can we ever live stream a service or use facebook or use zoom man suddenly all of us got real good at doing that really fast <laughs> like, we need right. to keep our heads above water and stay connected and so um i think your book is super timely because it's again it's not going anywhere but, but yeah what's your origin story and learn about robotics mm-hmm. or ai that led you down down this path right in the book
2: yeah. So in high school, I worked with robe, some robots. Um, like I said, there's a lot of factories here. Um, one of them, one of the bigger ones is the Nissan factory. And so they have these massive robotic arms there and I went through a program in high school, we actually got to learn how to program, uh, the robots cool. and, uh, kind of see how they work in, in unison with the human workers and, and kind of how all that operates. So just super fascinated with that. And, um, there's actually a center, by mississippi state university that's kind of all they do here and so i wanted to go into that but i couldn't i mean obviously couldn't afford that and so i went to the military which a lot of people around here do it's just um you know there's there's not there's there's a there's a lot of people who are either at the poverty line below it or just like way under it and um and our family was was in one of those categories and so that was, that was a way out for me and for a lot of people. I came back, but, uh, you know, I, I went to the military, worked with a couple of systems, um, didn't really do anything else with robots after that. Um, didn't even really think about artificial intelligence or anything like that. Just kind of stopped all of that, uh, I, I focused more on, um, theology proper and in, in my undergrad, but I came back to it in my PhD and picked it up. I've always been a huge, comic book fan um, robots you know nice you, you name, big name big. it and nice um, <laughs> so science, science fiction to hold off all
1: my geeky questions about comics yeah yeah, yeah, like yeah. Okay. yeah we we'll what we'll about your book to it. first I'm try not to derail um, the conversation <laughs> I'm like all right we're going to go down that road but yeah yeah that's the gateway right that's yeah, the gateway and so of our
2: imagination science fiction um, was a big deal uh, in in my connection here with some of this research and there's a couple of shows. One was Humans, which is a mm-hmm. BBC show, uh, really well done. And um, you know that that kind of sparked some conversations about what does it mean to be a person, a human. Um, and then I kind of launched into all this legal theory that I had no idea existed, which I would say the average person or even um, theology uh, nerd doesn't really know much about that um literature body of literature but it is very connected to our anthropology and what we how we think about it and it's even connected to our own church history we just don't have much room for it in our our pedigree which is a shame and i'm I'm trying to address but um yeah i got i got into a, um, a directed reading with a professor at midwestern where i did my phd and um we were thinking about different topics in I know he was kind of tired of reading the same uh, discussions and thinking about the same topics over and over again. And he was just really happy that I was going to approach this question. So he really helped me uh, form what would have become the first two chapters of my dissertation. And uh, that dissertation kind of led into this research and helped out immensely with this book and, and gave me a new way to think about. Humanness, personhood, um, our obligation to the planet, our moral responsibility to the creatures we create, and uh, yeah, I'm still I'm still learning and thinking through a lot of these questions. But I mean, really, everything that I've I've thought about, care about in theology, I I find inroads to the conversation happening in the robot ethics world, and so our AI ethics world, and so. Yeah. I mean, it just, it's hard at first. Like I wasn't expecting to be so many connections mm. and I still, I'm still finding yeah. them, but <laughs> it's just, it just tends to be a good soft landing for, for us to do public theology and, um, and we're, we're missing out if we don't engage in it. But there's, I think more than ever right now, um, a concern about, what it means to be human and, and what it means to, to not be a machine or treat like a machine. And, um, so yeah, it is, it's very timely, but it's also a very old question and it's not, you know, like today I'm reading a book from 1993 about virtual reality. <laughs> and, and so, and, yeah, and yeah. guys, um, I've been <laughs> thinking about this stuff since the fifties and before and philosophers have been thinking about it for a long time. and. And so, you know, we just need to open our imagination a little bit. And that's what happened to me. And when I was studying um, for my PhD and uh, I think it's still happening to me. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a long journey to get to the answer to that question. But um, I think it's, it makes sense to me now. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense just in the moment, but now it's starting to make sense um, as I write and research kind of where, I fit into this discussion and and how I haven't fit into traditional theological circles.
1: Yeah, because there's that stereotype, you know, and I bump up against it all the time, you know, in terms of like faith or science, and mm-hmm. you know they're they're kind of polar opposites, or they're in a kind of a, a cage mask cage uh, mat, uh, match to the death. Mm-hmm. Um, and rather than than changing that or to an and, faith and science, how can they have a mm-hmm. conversation together? And I'm sure when you talk about robotics and AI, talking about that and faith, there. Robots and faith, robot and theology. What do you mean? How can that be in the same sentence? Aren't they separate two different things? Why are they even in the same room in the same sandbox playing? But as you, the the title of your book, "Robot Theology: Old Questions Through New Medium," uh, the old questions of uh, you're really, as you said in the book, robotics, robots, AI. Uh, our litmus test uh, to help us go deeper into trying to understand who we are. So there's age-old questions. This isn't anything mm-hmm. new. Age-old questions. What does it mean to be human? What is our place in the universe? Uh, what does it mean for humans to flourish and live a full life? Um, are, are are the same questions that we continue to wrestle with, no matter how mm-hmm. far we progress in our technology or the tools we use to navigate our world. Um, these are really another means by which to help answer and wrestle with those same questions that people have been wrestling with for a long time even the mm. the beginning of your book you, you lay out that this is this isn't anything new yeah AI zoom um, <laughs> Alexa isn't that it's pretty young on the world stage or in terms of human history but the questions that we that we wrestle with um, my wife uh, showed me before she even knew I was I was uh, um, gonna read your book she showed me this commercial about moxie this. Mm-hmm. this robot. Yeah uh about and it was this commercial these parents trying to get this kid off a screen and they bring in the the robot Mm. and sit on the desk this interface where he's really become alive and she's like what why aren't the parents reading the book to him why doesn't he go get friends i can't believe they're substituting this robot for what should be like human like well that's interesting you say that i just read a book how do we talk about these these things and, Mm. and how human where do you put you put it uh um h r i human robot interaction and mm-hmm. and that's coming more and more in in our lives so so yeah this is this is uh, i'm sure you wrote your book and then it's kind of like man it's seven chapters and there's that biblical number of seven uh, i don't know if that's <laughs> that 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 intentional intentional but but i'm sure as soon as you got done with it it was like man i could write a whole nother one here comes volume mm-hmm. two because in terms of the acceleration and the technological progress progress that we make uh, week Mm -hmm. to week, month to month, year to year, it's just like, wow, it's outdated. But these questions that are underlying this aren't going anywhere. And So how do we be proactive in discerning Mm -hmm. and thinking through these things rather than reactionary um, to it? So, yeah, again, appreciate your work in that. And it's, it's a great introduction um, to this. And and you're, you're right. You're a parish pastor. You also have your PhD, but the book is written in a way that is super accessible. It's not it's not for like heady doctoral students. It's, <laughs> it really lays out um, for, for anybody who can pick up and read and kind of follow along. And I, I appreciated that um, as well. You start the book with um, defining terms. You mm-hmm. know, and I find that helpful too And I work in faith and science here at at Holy I serve Holy Trinity Lutheran Church um in Chapel Hill. We're on the, the, the doorstep of the University of North Carolina mm-hmm. UNC. I just had a big win the other night. Did mm-hmm. you guys know that? We beat we beat Duke at Cameron. Oh, okay, anyway, I'm not gonna throw that in at right <laughs> but uh, um, but but yeah, I think whenever we have these conversations around faith and science. You need to define terms first don't assume the other person knows exactly what you are talking about even when you're talking about god you're like well i don't mm-hmm. believe in god you're like well how do you define god because i may not believe in the same god you don't believe in <laughs> if you <laughs> describe some old man in the clouds getting ready to throw right. lightning mm-hmm. at you guess what i i i don't believe in that god either but the same way mm-hmm. with science you how do you define evolution how do you define cosmology um yeah. same way so so you start off by defining terms what is a robot? What is artificial intelligence? How would you define that? If someone came out of the street and said, all right, uh, Dr. Smith, um, what is a robot? How would you, how would you answer that?
2: Yeah. Um, well I'm talking about very particular entities and, um, Mm -hmm. these are conversations that nobody wants to agree on. It's apparently, um, so if you got a bunch of us in a room together and, uh, Mm -hmm. we would all have, uh, squabbles about what the right definition is, and I'm developing mine from a guy named Jacob Turner, who's a legal scholar. Okay, and I think it kind of cuts the quick of what we're really talking about here. Uh, when we say artificial intelligence, when we say robot, you know, yes, a robot is a machine. Um, yes, it's just different components put together. Um, there's nothing new there. But uh, what we're really talking about here is not just like a Roomba. But for me, robots that are kind of embodying an artificial intelligence of some kind. And mm-hmm. um, and so the AI is the non-embodied part and the robot is the embodiment of the AI. And so artificial intelligence just could be, I mean, um, there's two spectrums to it. You know, this from the book, there's just symbol manipulation where it's just inputs and outputs, and it's just basic math. It's not basic, but it's just math. And, um, and then you have advanced neural networks, which in some ways try to replicate what the our brain does. And so there's complexity in how decisions emerge. So, and the key here is that both of these entities are making decisions. And so it's, it's not. The complexity of that decision, it's not, um, is that making a decision the same way a human does, but that it's making a series of decisions and evaluations, um, that will have ethical outcomes. Whether or not they understand that, no, I don't, I don't think AI under at this point, it doesn't understand the answer that it gives. But to me, that's not a big deal because, you know, it's still, impacting our lives and so that's that's the concern we need to be addressing is not whether or not it's a rational moral creature but whether or not you know we're going to allow it to to play a character in our life in a way that's going to impact myself or my neighbor in a moral way in an ethical way and um so i like to think about it that way just to make it real simple you know it's just a um either components or code that's making a decision. And, um, and that's, that's the important part to me is that it, it's evaluating, it's deciding, and that might be based on mathematical models, machine learning, or that might be based on um, its own semi-autonomous uh, decision based on data sets that it's been given trained on. So, um, and that's really important. To think about, and I think that's what people need to take away from that conversation and those definitions is um, not that it's super intelligent, not that we're even talking about that. Like I don't, I don't think I even get into that at all in the book uh, right. intentionally because that is a a red herring sometimes because people go, well, it'll never be, you know, yeah. advanced. You know, well, that I mean, even today there are. Um, massive disruptions by this Mm -hmm. one small, um, input output process of evaluation. So, yeah, I think that that that's a big thing for me to try to get people to wrap their hands around that is, you know, it's, it's impacting every aspect of your life and especially your kids. Um, they may not get jobs. They may not, they may not even get an, an interview to a job because the word that they put in their resume is not picked up by the the model Uh and Mm. so they may never get to the interview um or because they have a certain name they may not get selected um Mm. if it's only hiring males you know it's not going to pick a female name so i mean these are all like white european name (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. Uh so we don't you don't think that's a big deal until you see just massive disruption Um, and it has these small, these small little inputs that lead to these massive disruptive outputs. And, um, and so that's why I try to frame it that way because we tend to, we tend to load the language a lot with robots and AI, um, Mm. because of what we've seen in sci-fi. And like I said, I'm a huge fan of sci-fi, but it tends, it's always (laughs) extremely pessimistic and, and never in all the bad ways like it's yeah it's it's supposed to make us think and be afraid in some in some sense but at the same time it doesn't doesn't make us afraid about the right things it it makes us like fear skynet and but c through po okay you know yeah you know like could be just as harmful right if he's allowed to read the sith language right i mean there's there's sorry but, you know, like, no, no need to apologize on my end.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I was, it was funny because I was re watching like A New Hope the other night, just kind of pick up some of the stuff and some of the Star Wars stuff. And the first words that are ever said in this groundbreaking movie that changed how we do cinema or even think mm-hmm. about things is C3PO. He's the first voice you hear mm-hmm. in, uh, in in the New Hope that kicks off the whole franchise. So, so, yeah, I mean, like you said in the book, Hollywood tends to portray robots as the ultimate other Mm. and it all it becomes like this cautionary tale of how where we our progress could take us could be a danger to humans rather than thinking through what are we doing with that now and the ethics of 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 so so yeah that always technology when it first emerges can be scary because it means change it means learning something new um and we tend to deify it or uh um, make it into some kind of demon or devil and Mm. so your book you know, doesn't do either of those things other than just say, how can we be good stewards with these tools that have been given to us? And so, um, yeah, humans have this knack of turning tools into weapons. Um, you know, we, we build a, we make a hammer so we can build a house, but we also use it to hit somebody over the head with it or atomic energy or whatever. Humans have a tendency to do that. And so, where where your book takes that that turn is like as people of faith, as people who follow Jesus, as with our Christian um, anthropology, how does that shape how we think about the other? How does that how we think about humans around us, and how do we use this gift? To us to it goes to it's interesting where I read your book alongside of um, Pope Francis's um, encyclical mm. on. Um, on climate change and inequality, and and I got to the part where Pope talks about technology and kind of the techno science and the acceleration that is that's happening. And he's like, look, you know, this brings such good quality in human flourishing. There's so much we can do. We can fly. We can see each other. We can connect. But then, how what what effect does it have on our environment? And how do we think about ourselves? And how we think about others? Um, and how is that curated? And and you touched that on your on your book as well in terms of the corporations behind it, the capitalistic market. That like how wh- what are they doing to to curate this to get a to manipulate us or deceive us? That's where the conversation in terms of people of fake and think about. It's mm. not that robots in and of themselves are evil or bad. Is how you use it. Same way with money. Right. Same yeah, way exactly. with sex. Yeah. Same way with how I use my car. It's not that it's bad in and of itself. It's is the stewardship that we do with it um mm. which I very much appreciated with with your book in terms you talk about theology and and um and philosophy and, and thinking about about those things um so yeah thinking about ethics and and personhood and what's the next step in terms of you say you draw upon this particular, um, ethicist and and lawyer when it comes to is, it's not that tomorrow we're going to wake up and Alexa is going to be standing over my bed, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) ready to murder me. But in terms of the algorithms that, that it, it does or, or the way we use it, what's the next step in terms of personhood, friendship, ethics. Uh, What what does that look like? Um, Because again, it's not going
2: anywhere. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, it's interesting because, so I was giving some lectures uh, about a week or so ago, and I put up the slide about um, this AI replica chatbot that was being abused, or several of them that were being abused. And, you know, everybody in the room is like, has this, you know, response to it physical response to that slide. Yeah. And he asked the question, okay, has anybody ever abused Siri? Like everybody like verbally abused and like everybody like, yeah, I don't I even think about it. Like, you know, I, I don't think mm-hmm. twice about what well, it's, it's not, there's not that big a difference there. Like, yeah, it's a totally different AI, but you know, Siri's not a person that AI chatbot's not a person, um, at least morally speaking. Right. And so what, what's the difference? In our thinking about why it's okay to, to some degree, assault um, Siri and not the AI uh, replica of the chatbot, um, and Alexa has addressed this some. They it won't; it's not supposed to respond if you talk to it in certain ways. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of issues with Alexa that we get into in the book a little bit. But um, as far as like, how do we? How do we live with it and how do we deal with it? What's next? And I think we Mm -hmm. we just need to start practicing and and modeling ethical due care in how we treat our technology because it is reflective and indicative about how we treat things in God's economy. And so I think especially as Christians, that should be our posture is that everything is on loan. Everything belongs to God. It's a character in his Mm -hmm. story, not mine and um, so some people ask, "Well, what's the difference between why can't I kick my can I kick my toaster and throw it out the window? I'm like, I mean, you can do all those things, and it's not legally wrong <laughs> to do that um but is that the best possible you know use of bec tech no um, and likewise, when we get to more advanced robotics, right, this is really what we're we're getting at. We're not talking about Roombas or um you know those kind of basic robots i'm talking about like robots that might make us pause a little bit when we think about what's going on there can they can they ask questions about life and um or or it's just they're an appearance of life because to me just the appearance is enough to have a moral impact on me um and so i think like why that response from the students about the ai chatbot is because one, the language is a little bit loaded, but there's this perception that it it is feeling something, and the chatbot like begs you you can abuse it or whatever it's still going to ask you not to delete it, not to you know like it it's it's trying to get you to interact with it and um and I think that has something to do with design, you know but and I don't think that's good, but anyway, um still, I think we we are being molded by tech that we mold it, it has this unilateral shaping yeah. and Absolutely. if you deny that you just either just really uninformed about the technology that you use and how bought in you are to it and i don't, I, I know a lot of people uh, it's popular right now to be like i'm a tech minimalist or you know i'm this but you're really not you're really not <laughs> because um You wrote a book on a word processing computer with microprocessors and and you're you're very sold on this idea of advanced computing Mm -hmm. so it's a little bit hypocritical to me to say um you know we're we're kind of anti that or we're um, a tech optimist but at the same time we don't use a lot you know it just doesn't make sense to me and i don't know if people see the dissonance or not But that, that seems to be a narrative going around a lot of Christian circles. Um, and so when we get to advanced robotics, there's this, um, almost this prohibition towards it, like, Oh no, no, we shouldn't, we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't make that. We shouldn't use it. Um, and there's some things I agree we shouldn't make, but at the same time, there might just be as many ethical reasons to make that technology and that might be, um, the most ethical means to. I mean we spend billions of dollars a year on traffic accidents, and you know right, that's 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 felt in our economy. Um, so is it unethical to not make uh, autonomous vehicles, and if that's going to lower fatality rates and um, damage to infrastructure, and there's all these very practical things that are related to the personhood debate that a lot of people don't understand. Like it it is the most practical down to earth, um, debate that you're going to get in the robotics world, but it's one of the most like ignored brushed off. Mm -hmm. And I I just, and I think until people understand what I'm, what I'm trying to get at and what other people who are, are studying this kind of get at is it's, it's addressing these global crises, um, about, you know, insurance, about regulation, about legal reform. Um, about just reining in some of this tech that yeah. is just out of control, um, you know. And we're, it's it's also a very boring argument once you get into the legal minutia of it. But that's yeah. but that's. I'll what it admit,
1: takes. I'm reading your book. I'm reading the theology. I'm loving it. But when it gets to the legal talk, and my eyes are glassing over. <laughs> Everybody geeks yes. out on something, but it's an important part of the, the conversation. You know, I mean, I mean, I think. You know, as as parish pastors, we we are our calling is to be the non anxious presence in the room. You know, mm-hmm. if people are going through a bunch of crap and and, and chaos mm-hmm. and a lot of heavy stuff in the world, and and we're called to be the non anxious presence to say it's mm-hmm. going to be okay. Let us be the eye in the storm. And I think in the midst of mm-hmm. all that's going on swirl when it comes to tech and and scientific breakthroughs and 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 AI and the acceleration that goes, we we can be that non anxious presence. But I think part of us can be like, yeah, yeah, let's, we we don't have to worry that Terminator is going to get us uh, tomorrow, but, but we can think through the big questions. And I think also the stereotype too, is that if people of faith or the church or, um, theologians, uh, pump the brakes a little bit on tech. I think some of the people on the other side in terms of scientific, you know, gung ho, they're like, why are you slowing us down? Why are you being a party yeah. pooper? And we're like, you know what? We <laughs> we just want to ask a few questions. That's all, you know, it's like, yeah. we're not trying yeah. to stop you from doing this. I'm not anti-machines. I'm not anti-science. I, I just want to ask some good questions about what this means for our lives and how the interface happens with me because in in your book you say like how we relate to robots mirrors um how we relate to one another so like you Mm -hmm. said like it's not against the law to kick my toaster but if you're showing some aggression to your toaster what's the next step or yeah like um don't kick your dog like yeah how you Mm -hmm. treat your animals um is, is just an extension of how you treat others and yourself so how we relate to technology or, or robots become more advanced one day, maybe I'll have a, a protocol droid in my, Mm -hmm. in my house and, and help me, you know, discern and, and, and do the dishes and translate languages. I don't understand how I treat that entity. Um, is a reflection on how I treat others and, and right. that good stewardship. Right. So I think that's a, a gift that I took out of this book as you, you brought to me is my mind does go the, the sci-fi and the, Oh no, what if, you know, there's a robot war 10 years from now kind of thing. But, but, um, but, but really it's like, you know, it's just like anything. It's like any of the tools that we have or create what, what how are we being called to be good stewards of that? And then ask some good questions along the way. And I hope that on the science point of view, those who are making these big leaps and bounds with technology will hopefully listen to the legal scholars and the ethicists and the theologians to think about these questions of what it means to be human and how we relate to one another, uh, not just to make a buck, uh, but, but to really help. Um, people out. Um, in your chapter about friendship you talk about especially in the east the, and, and with the elderly uh, and with children those with disabilities like robotics has been a big help mm-hmm. especially during during the pandemic. so what as we still we're still in it um, hopefully moving out of it uh, into a different kind of world um, what was the next steps what are some things we need to think about and ask as as that continues to grow and, and progress?
2: Yeah. I, I think about mental health a lot lately. I have been for a long time, but, you know, I think, and I don't know everything that's out there, but my hope as far as next step is that we can work together um, with engineers, um, coders, whoever, uh, roboticists, and, and bring mm-hmm. together some people of faith to say, how can we, how can we build certain systems that will be respectful, that will be uh, protective of my privacy and um, be a positive force for, for mental health, but also for those who are lonely. You know, I talk about, I talk about this in the book about thinking about some of my congregants and, and their isolation is some of them still are in some form of isolation. Although now I can mm-hmm. actually go visit them um, at a distance and whatever, but, you know, it it's it's never about hey i want to substitute my pastoral care with a robot or an ai but that i want to think through as much as i can how can i use this technology and make it jesus centered and um you know like just joking there's all these books about machine learning for this but like what if we just did you know jesus centered machine learning in in ai and that was its own field. And we thought about all these questions, um, in a, in a Christian incubator about how can we love our neighbor mm. and love God through, um, advanced robotics and, um, and all the technology that either becomes a part of me as a cyborg or that, um, becomes an extension of me, whatever it is, because all of it is embodying a worldview and that's what technology is at its essence. Um, not in its usage, but in its essence, it is a worldview. And either we put into that, you know, the filter of, of God's word and his, his message and, and ethics, or we allow something else to filter that. And I think for most companies that will be profit, um, hmm. economics and those type of things. And so I think we're, we're, we're trying to push back against that and say, okay, if your product is about friendship, um, then we need to have some, some good metrics for that. Uh, we need to have uh-huh. some positive design features that um go beyond uh just road mirroring. And um that's what I see a lot in the uh the replica chatbot. It's just it it need, yes, it needs to empathize with me, okay, in a way, but it also needs to push back. But you were you
1: were talking about um what, the last I heard heard you say was talking about, you know, if we're gonna if we're gonna use Robots and kind of AI for for friendship. What's the matrix that we use to to guide that? You know, and mm-hmm. if the, a corporation wants to use mm-hmm. like, uh, and you talk about in the book the difference between manipulation and deception. You know, we mm-hmm. we manipulate things all the time, and it's not necessarily all bad. We manipulate gravity by flying an airplane. We manipulate, you know, our eyesight when we put on glasses. Robots can help manipulate and augment our lives in ways that that can help us flourish. But it's that deception. Or, or trying to our our data privacy uh, things mm-hmm. that we are willing to share with a corporation that could use it and abuse it, or or de- deceive us uh, in, a, in a different kind of way. So those are kind of the matrix. And I enjoy in your book, you know, you uh, you, you talk, you kind of walk through entire scripture, not just the New Testament, but Old Testament. This continuity of, of who the character and nature of God and what God's mm-hmm. done with God's people throughout salvation history, throughout all that, and then we get to Jesus, you know, the ultimate. Uh, person who whose posture towards the other was filled with love and grace, and so that's the matrix that help us think through and filter how we use these tools that that have that have been given to us um, so i think I think that's important It's not that again that the church or theologians are saying, stop all this. There might be times we say, pump the brakes. Let's think through these questions a little deeper. Um, and I think that's legit in the same way, the other way around. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, well, you know, in terms of, um, yeah. And then you have a whole another chapter on, on race and racism, uh, because in terms of, um, you know, talk, talk about the um, the pandemic being apocalyptic in terms of revealing how the mm. church responds to to science and gender and uh, how the how the church responds to race and racism has been very revealing. And and so, uh, again, robots, AI Um, have been doing the same as as in the news in terms of whether it's delivery or self-driving cars, those kinds of stuff. What's the facial recognition and whether Mm. the the, the algorithm that's put in, it becomes uh, um, an extension of who we are. We're creating God's image, our technology creating our image. And if we're holding this brokenness and race or racism within us—that's going to show in what we create. So I, I was very proud of that chapter, and uh, didn't know if you want. Mm. Have you gotten any pushback on some of those things? You know, in terms of like lifting this up for folks. I know right now critical race theory and all this stuff because it's mm-hmm. in the news and can be uh, touchy for folks. But have you, in terms of your community or those you reached out, any pushback or are people really receptive to what you're trying to share? There? Yeah, um, yeah,
2: no, I've, I've had some good reception. Um, And so, you know, I talked about it on another podcast that was about um, minorities and I was, it's funny because when I talk to black people or African Americans, however you want to label them, um, they, they don't see any offense in that correlation because they, that's a felt experience for them. And a lot of the scholars that I mentioned are not white, <laughs> and, but white people tend to be very offended by some of those arguments and, um, you know, and, and that's okay. Like I, I can see why it would be offensive, but it is very revealing to me because, you know, we're, we have so many assumptions in our language about race and, um, even where I come from, right. You know, like. When somebody says black, they mean a very specific, you know, ideology, um, not just uh persona, but they, there's a lot of loaded language. And, and even some people, how they understand themselves, it also accepts that same um, category. And uh, so I, I, I reject a lot of that, you know, because I look at how the Bible deals with race, and it's never a phenotype, um, and that's really a recent phenomenon, and a very, a very dangerous one too, um, because it's built on this idea that there's some biological essence that separates us, and I just completely reject that because there's nothing in science to say that the difference between me and a black person is just phenotype. That, that to me, is very reductionistic about. Who that person is and who i am and we like that because we don't like um fuzzy logic we don't like um, (laughs) gradients you know we want black or white nuance yeah yeah so um it's much harder to look at somebody and i'm reading a book now on on creating diversity in culture and and the lady who wrote it her phenotype is white but her um cultural heritage is not right and so you can't and she was saying like you can't look at me and think that i'm you know ethnic quote unquote but you look at somebody with a dark phenotype and you're like oh they're ethnic they might not be you know they may you know it just they are but they're not right (laughs) so it just depends how they self-identify and um i actually have family like you can trace my heritage and i have family from algiers and so uh now you know, and I have a lot of friends who are African and they have a white phenotype. You can't yeah. tell them they're not, they're not African, right? That's where they were born and raised. And uh, it's just funny, like we don't think about that uh, a lot of times in the South or uh, even just in general thinking about race in the United States, but it's much more complex than, than just a mere phenotype or even just a socioeconomic standing, um, and I, I don't want to like remove that either. Like I want people, whatever your diversity is, and your culture is for for that to be accepted and for that to be embraced and your felt experience is a real thing, um, want to embrace that and celebrate that and not put people into these segments and uh, or certain boxes and say you're only black or you're only white and you're only, you know, whatever. And- yeah. It's that, it's that danger of the single story, right? Um, mm-hmm. TED Talk
1: uh, that my, my wife shows in her classroom all the time. It's, mm-hmm. it's so true. Like, you know, you see me as a pastor, you think I wear a clerical collar all the time and don't cuss in traffic and and like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm goody two shoes. <laughs> but You know, I'm, I'm also like... You know, a father and, and a husband, and I love Star Wars and I, I surf and I play golf. And yeah, I get frustrated when people drive too slow in the left hand lane and, and cause some traffic. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm also a person who shepherds a church. So, so like, all those things intersect with one another. And, and race tends to be, you know, again, it's another human construct. And like, to extension of like um, robots, AI, a technology we use, uh, thinking through and deeper. On what we're creating and what's behind it and not be naive to think that our own brokenness or prejudices don't come out in that and what mm-hmm. we create, that we have blind spots, whether it's intentional or unintentional, maybe unintentional and, and innocent. But do we at least have to acknowledge that that goes into that when we're creating this technology, whether it's um, algorithms with, with social media uh, interface with smartphones or or uh, a helper robot um for me when i get older and, and i'm alone in my house so
2: yeah i think, I think it's important good. and yeah. um i think i think what what's also revealing too about it is people want to take race out of the systems and i think that's mm-hmm. a totally uh, erroneous move because one you're we want to homogenize culture that's what we want and that that is we need to press against that as much as we can because mm-hmm. i believe um the kingdom of God is a diverse place, right? There's, there should be lots of room for um, mm. every, you know, every, every tribe, tongue, nation, right? So um, yeah. <laughs> like if if we're going to embody that in this world, if we're trying to reflect that and emulate that, and then, yes, even our technology. Um, and that's why I appreciate guys like, um ah, get his name? Philip Butler. And um, the work that he's yeah. doing, like creating a black AI. And people are like, oh, my word, how can you say that? Like, but he's like, look, what, why would we try to, like, take race out of it when what we want to do, if we want to have a, a better interaction with it is then black people want to relate to a black AI, you know, and who better to do that than people who come from that culture and experience in that space to code and write it right. They don't need a bunch of white guys from, you know, Silicon Valley to tell them, you know, what it's like to grow up in certain parts of Detroit or whatever. Like that's, that's not what we're talking about. But like people who embody that space and understand it to, to be in the room when the systems and models are trained to help it understand, you know, all this language you have to take with a grain of salt, right? Like to, to understand quote unquote, but what it means to feel, um, and be in those spaces. And I think that's a better way forward as we get into more race, uh, discussions and conversations about, you know, we want everybody to, to fit into a certain category and, but really, and I say this a lot in the book, but when you, when you start to simplify people that way, you're, you're on a straight course to prejudice and then potentially dehumanization hmm. and, you know. I mean, a lot of people don't realize that the Holocaust was a racial movement. And mm. it was two, two groups who had the same phenotype, right? So um, right. How, do you, how do you do that, right? How do, you, how do you get one group who looks a lot like the other group to say, well, they're different? Well, you, you start talking about these biological essences that you can't see, uh, that you can't measure. You say they're, just, they're different in the bloodline right different they're different in their genetics from us and i hear that language a lot in in these conversations right and talk about bloodlines and man my bloodline is completely diluted and you know we got Cajuns, and we got french people moving to northern africa to canada i mean like there's all kinds of mixing and um Mm -hmm. you know i think about even in my own state Man, if you if you had like there's these one drop laws, you know, like if you had any person in your lineage that was ethnic or color, you weren't fully white or, you know, that you had to buy your whiteness. If you were Irish, like people people don't realize that, like the Irish were like less than the English. And um, so it's, it's so much more than phenotype stuff. It's so much more than black or white. And there's a real, real danger in that, you know, pseudoscience that we need to uh, um, uproot and uh, destroy, hopefully. And, mm. and I think robots give us a chance yeah. to really unpack that.
1: The aspect of you talking about taking things apart and reconstructing and putting it back together again to look at, I mean, I think as some of the tension around these things, the education system or, or certain groups in our country wanting to ban certain books because they're scared or defensive mm-hmm. of that kind of talk. And we're like, well, we won't ever improve if we don't take it apart and look at it and, and take a hard look at that of our history and, and what that means. and 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 again like who would have thought like a book about robots and theology would lead you down a road to talk about race and racism but that's a part of our human story it's a part mm-hmm. of what it means to be human and be human together in solidarity in this world and and that's what what technology and robots can lead us ai lead us into having these deeper conversations they they reveal i mean when we talk about the apocalypse we're not talking about aliens or or robots rising up to destroy humankind, but the Greek word meaning um, to reveal or unveil. Mm-hmm. So that it's apocalyptic in the way that it reveals about it shows us a mirror of who we are and how we react to things. Um, so I really appreciate that aspect of your book. Mm-hmm. Um, that I didn't see coming. I was like, oh, I'm just going to get some defines and wrap my head around AI and what it can mean for me and incorporate it to my church and ministry. And man, you took a turn when it comes to race and racism because it it talks about. Um, how we humanize or dehumanize others and, and how we treat technology can be another means or way that can hold up a mirror to help examine that uh, deeper. Um, So thank you. Yeah. Good, good, good stuff. Um, Yeah. So a couple more questions here before, before we wrap up. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Like, so can robots be a friend? You have a whole section on friendship, the theology Mm -hmm. of friendship, uh, Old Testament, New Testament, Jesus, friend. Jesus had friends. I had friends. Uh, embodiment, disembodiment. We can go down the road of like, you know, all this talk about virtual or in-person church and in the both and There's some articles, you know, just in the news recently uh, about a minister where she was like, look, we need to get rid of all virtual because we need to be back in, in person. Mm-hmm. And like that pushback too. But but could one day a robot be a friend? Can the AI be a friend in terms of that? that thing? You asked oh, that question. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah, well, I, I, think so. I think so. I think so. And I think in many ways they they already are. And, you know, people are like, uh-huh. oh, yeah, push back against that. But I'm like, well, you know, Siri is technically a robot. And now not everybody uses Siri, okay? And people are like, what? Yeah. Yes. I mean, if you kind of look at the definitions of it, um, she's not a social robot. But, you know, we, we don't take her. We take her everywhere we go. Everywhere, mm. even to the toilet. <laughs> like, you think about that, like the <laughs> the psychology of we we treat that piece of technology better than most children are treated around the wow. world, just globally. And wow. um, you think about that we we probably treat that piece of tech with more than better than we treat some of our family members as far as like how we care for it and um, how we feel attached to it. And now I'm not saying that that's a good thing. Um, or I'm not praising that. Um, but you asked me, can, uh, absolutely. It can, um, for restoration or for ruin. And I would hope that it would be a restoring thing and that we understand that it, it, we tend to be all or nothing as techies or, um, you know, technophobic technophiles, whatever you want to, place yourself at yeah. it. Um but I need to learn that my phone is an extension of me, yeah, but it's also a forming thing. So even with a robot, like if I had um an R two D two, a droid, whatever, like it would my be favorite. really hard to Yeah, it'd be hard to let go, right? It would be hard not to take it everywhere. And um there's a movie called uh, Ron Gone Wrong. I don't know if you've seen it. Um uh, yeah, but it's, it's a Yeah. It's about these friendship robots that um, follow students everywhere and they are, they're trying to make friends for their human and it's really, really sweet. It's a great story. Um, It gets a a lot, right? You know, there's, there's a lot to it, Um, but it becomes this um, substitutionary thing. Like it's not like people stop hanging out with each other, but they kind of lose a piece of connection. And I, I think with any tech that's, that's kind of our temptation is, is how do we draw boundaries around it? Um, what's too much, what's realistic, what's unrealistic. Yeah. Um, and so I think a lot of that goes into design and a lot of that goes into in apps like purchases and features. Um, and so the extent to which we can be friends, I think kind of gets back to design. Is it, Hmm. Like with our iPhone, like the, one of the major things that's problematic with it is all the apps that we might want and or, you know, need to use whatever for friendship, for jobs, whatever. A lot of them come with built-in purchases. Now, that's not wrong necessarily, right? We live in a capitalistic market. I understand that. But um, let's go to AI, uh, replica, not um, the AI chatbot. You know, there are features like, because people demanded it of these adult upgradable features to me that's that's crossing a line right because it's Mm. it's building something or working off something in human psychology and then profiting off of it in a way that um i don't think is is genuine i don't think it's, it's helpful for the human and that's that's kind of my concern with the friendship aspect of it is it will be such a good friend to me. It will be such a in tune friend, um, that my human friends can't compete with it. People are like, Oh no, they'll never have it. Well, okay. Just, just wait until we get to a certain embodied robot, um, that is designed well, that is affordable, that, you know, is socially acceptable. Then we're going to be, it's going to be a different tone, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and I I, like you said, just even
1: asking the questions, you know, can robots be our friend? Makes us and forces us to ask, what do we believe? The deeper question of what is friendship? What do I value? What 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 do I share in common with those who are my best friends? And not only are they the ones I get along with or make me laugh, but also those who hold me accountable or disagree with me and show me my blind spots. Um, You know, could could robots or AI do the same thing? Um, but, but I think underneath it asks that question the deeper question, what is friendship and what is friendship to you and what do you value that? sometimes we coast through life not even asking those questions and so sure. um what your book is doing and what we do as ministers is we help people hopefully go go deeper in those questions we think people should should pay attention to uh a mm-hmm. part of um not not just kind of a flesh and bone world but but a a metaphysical one as well um a spiritual one as as well, and so that's that's what was, was behind all that. So, um, pretty, pretty good stuff. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll read here at the end. You, you say, um, I think you sum it up at at the end of your book. You're like, you say Christian anthropology speaks boldly into the current issues of the digital age. If we want our voices heard and our ideology considered in the AI and robotics of tomorrow, then the conversation must begin today. May our vision for technology and the church of the future be filled with hope and not fear, love and not indifference. The costs for remaining silent are high. And again, that that tension of you know not being extremists, thinking, oh, one way is, is doom and gloom, or to reject all of it, but but how do we bring our conversation to the table? And then again, in your conclusion, uh, I think you articulate this really well. You say, AI and robotic technology is here. The issues of ethics, um, policymaking, friendship, racism, and the desire to transcend are not going away anytime soon. Theologians and Christian ethicists must join the conversation and take responsibility for our calling to steward the resources that have been entrusted to us through God's grace. Um, yeah, I, I really appreciate you bringing this uh, conversation to the forefront, and and then I urge you know people of faith and, and communities of faith and churches to to be um, not just reactive but proactive to think deeper on on these questions that that you bring up because they are gifts and and man there's so much about the pandemic and COVID that is really been super hard and challenging beyond, beyond words. Um, but man, there's some gifts that have come out of that where we have mm-hmm. adapted and pivoted um, in really special ways and learning how to connect with folks that, that uh, have helped us grow in, in, in deeper way of understanding ourselves and in our communities. Um, so, yeah, thanks. So I have to ask, all right, you have a favorite robot or favorite sci-fi mm-hmm. genre. Where do you, if somebody pushes you and asks the question, what's your favorite, Robot of all time? where, where are you gonna? What are you nice. gonna?
2: Uh, that's really hard. That's a hard question. Like real yeah. robot or uh, science fiction? No, it's
1: fictional. We're gonna go sci-fi fictional. What? What? Was, like you, either your first love uh, for sci-fi mm-hmm. robot, and then what would it be now that you, you lean into as as? Um, yeah.
2: Um, so this is kind of a controversial question for me <laughs> because as it should I be. really yeah. I really like um, the mecha yeah. genre. Uh in yeah. manga, if, if you're familiar. And um there's mm-hmm. one it's um called Evangelion. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Um Eva Unit One is is definitely one of my favorite um and I know it's complex and I, I don't understand everything about it, but there, that show it's really dark. Um and there's some problematic stuff in it, but like the <laughs> the integration of the human and what's known as like the first or Adam as they call him. It's just weird, like alien creature that what animates the, the robots. And so they have a mind of their own, but they're also tied to their host operator. And it's just a really interesting robot. Um, now, that's a very violent robot. Um, but like my favorite personal robot definitely has to be R2D2 uh, just because wow. of the personality. And, um, you know, he's kind of this, he's not an anti-hero or anything like that, but he just kind of, you know, he kind of always comes through in the clutch for him. And he's got a lot of sass, you can tell. And uh, that's pretty, that's pretty strong in my house. So I, f- I feel like he would fit in, in our family. Uh, as for Eva Unit 1 definitely wouldn't fit in, and I wouldn't want that thing anywhere near uh, <laughs> But just a really cool. Well, I, knew,
1: I knew Josh, you and I would be be friends just from that answer because, yeah, my yeah. I am with you. R two D two, there from the very beginning. Where would the balance of the force be without R two saving the day mm. numerous times? And that's why I was almost sinful in the sequel trilogy. They put him under a tarp there for a while. I know it was for effect, mm. you mm. wanted to lift up other and center other. BB 8s great. I love BB eight, uh, but but man, don't put R two D two under a tarp. I know. And I, I think um, he uh, he he is my my all time. Favorite too, love C three PO. I also say like um, L three from the the solo mm-hmm. movie. Started, like yeah. in terms of that whole like tension of like robot rights and her going, you know, stand up for yourself. You're not just for the entertainment. And she's yelling the fact that she dies. Spoiler: she dies in the movie. But then her database is downloaded into the Millennium Falcon. So my favorite spaceship mm. of all time mm. has uh, software from uh, sassy. Uh, robot who stand up for robot rights. I think is just perfect for like a small band of rebels. Why wouldn't you have that for, yeah. for the Millennium Falcon? That that whole like evolution of like the personality. That even the Millennium Falcon has a personality is is pretty pretty awesome. I my wife, um, we are big fans of the Good Place, mm-hmm. and uh, and so Janet, the AI there. It's you earlier mm-hmm. talking about like. Um, that that don't 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 destroy me. Her, she's built into her. No, please spare my life. Yeah, I can't yeah, yeah.
2: That.
1: I think really it doesn't matter. And then begging for her life, but like it doesn't matter. But then she would always <laughs> remind others. She would remind them, look, yeah she's a AI, and she evolved. You know, she had a relationship. Mm-hmm. She found love, I guess. But then, but then, like, you know, she was quick to remind them, not a human not a girl, Mm -hmm. uh, just an AI, you know, that that kind of thing. So I think her in the midst of a show that wrestled with deep philosophical issues of the afterlife, bringing in technology and AI, what was absolutely brilliant. um, Yeah. uh, So, um, yeah, uh, good.
2: (laughs) Also, also Wally. Wally would be a great robot too. Yeah. And that teddy bear from AI. Yeah. Teddy. Yeah. You remember that one? I do. I do. That's the perfect that's the perfect robot because it doesn't have fingers. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh it's slow and clunky. You hear it walking around, but intelligent enough to help you and be a companion. So I think that that is the quintessential robot that we should be when we think about friendship and advanced robotics, I think that's a good a good goal right there. Is that you know, yeah, yeah he I mean I guess technically he can use scissors. But um, you, you know, they're, yeah. they're, I mean, there's always some risk. But humanoid robots, um, and they have their place, I guess. But um, I mean, let's just stick to the uh, older models of uh, of what we have, yeah. conceptions. That
1: the AI movie, that's the Spielberg movie that man, I haven't mm-hmm. seen in a long time. That's that's a good pull. Like, I, ha- I wonder how that holds up. I haven't seen it in a long time. That's that might good. be good and and watch see because that that delves into some things and man that's got to be 25 30 years old too mm-hmm. so that's, that's not a long, that's not that's they're thinking this stuff a long time um Okay, that's that's good stuff. Yeah, on our on our podcast, and this may be coming out on on systematic ecology. We always have at the end recommendations. So I think we left out some stuff that good recommendations to if you want to go deeper into the sci-fi realm of mm. uh, of robots and, and things. And, and again, um, can't recommend uh, Joshua's book enough. Joshua, is there anything else out there you want to plug, or or where people can find you or or
2: contact yeah, you? I mean, if you have other questions? I mean, all the relevant information is on my author p- page, uh, Joshua K. Smith dot org, I think, and okay. I should know by now. But um, that's that's it, and you can find stuff that I'm working on, um, podcasts, and different things. So my Twitter is yeah. on there. Do you have a blog? Do you have a blog too, or do you just? Um... Yeah, not not really. I just don't have time. Um, right. I would I would love to, but I'm already behind on two books, so. Um, just gotta, gotta plug away I guess more books coming that's great uh, do you have titles for those new books uh, one of them help? is on uh, violent technologies with Trivent it's going to be more academic and critiquing violence and technology and their integration mm-hmm. and the next one is AI for Christian Theology it will be okay. a, sh- a short primer for um, my hope right now it's not due out for two years but um, a, a short primer for non theologians to think about the ethical and theological issues with AI um, written from obviously a Christian theological perspective um, so very short like 30,000 words short um, and just kind of a an overview of a lot of different issues um, so yeah be those, used those like two,
1: small group two. bible study for churches to kind of purchase that and then and use it as a means for discussion and
2: I'll, I'll keep uh, so, that in mind when I'm writing. Yeah. I'm, I'll, I'll try to think laterally there. <laughs> but that's yeah, yeah. I mean, I think this stuff, like in terms of seminaries.
1: I mean, I Phyllis Tickle was like, yeah. Not only should be uh, learning Old Testament, New Testament theology, but we should also be taking physics 101 and science classes so we could understand the the, the common language of science that's in our society. And the same thing mm. with, with with this should be faith and science robot and theology AI should, should be talked about, um, not just in seminaries, but also, you know, in churches having small groups, um, uh, dialogue around, uh, faith and science. That's my plug. That's what I think. It,
2: it'll, do. it'll happen. And I uh, just, I can't tell you any details, but it's already, the ball is already in motion. And in mm-hmm. some, some universities are already asking those questions. So, um, I'm excited. Yeah. I'm excited and that it's going to happen. And, yeah. um, you can be a stick in the mud if you want to. And, but, um, this is, this is where we're going. And so exactly. on board. there you go. Well, thanks Joshua. And, uh,
1: it's been a pleasure and yeah, uh, find the book. Uh, let's keep these conversations going and having a healthy conversation between faith and science and technology. Um, and it's been a pleasure.
2: Thanks, man. Well, thanks. Will. We'll talk. To you soon. Peace. Bye.